Well, just call me Bob Ross Jr. Okay, I actually didn't paint that. <laughs> I wish I had that talent. I don't. But one of the things that I find fascinating about painting is that you can have, especially if you're watching someone else paint, like there, there can be a stroke on the canvas that, that looks out of place. Or maybe there can be some color on the canvas that doesn't make sense. Like, like when you look at a painting, you can see like splotches of paint put down. And if you're just looking at that one section, it's like it doesn't make any sense. And, and uh, there, there's a lot here. Actually, I, I'm so proud of our creative team. They came up with this concept and they painted this. One of our team members painted this. And um, while they were doing it, there, there were certain things about this that didn't make sense to me. <laughs> Like, again, the splotches, you've got some dark colors, you've got, I don't know, some things happening here I don't fully understand. But when you step back and you look at the whole, and not just, like, little individual sections or moments when the brush hit the canvas, when you step back and you look at the whole, what you see is something uniquely beautiful, what you see here is what we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks where the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, says that he has laid up for him a crown of righteousness. That's where we're headed in this series toward the hope that Christ followers have that in this world... There are trials in this world, there are difficulties in this world, there is hardship, but because of the finished work of Jesus, there is laid up for us a crown of righteousness. What I love about this crown is that it kind of interweaves the crown of thorns that was placed on Jesus' head so that one day he can place a crown of righteousness on ours. And you see here, in the whole of the painting, an image that makes sense. But, but, but when it was being drawn out, constructed, if you will, like there were parts of this that didn't make sense to me. I questioned early on whether or not this concept was gonna work out, and it was the only concept we had for framing this series. So if it didn't work out, we kinda had nothing. And for a while, I thought we might have nothing. But then when I looked at the whole, I thought, man, that's a beautiful painting. I'll start the bidding at $1,000. <laughs> now, man, it's a beautiful painting. Now, here's, here's what we're seeing in the life of Paul, who, who's given us this letter, a letter he wrote to some people he loved very, very much in Philippi, which is in modern-day Greece, a really a church that he started years before. He's now writing to these believers. And, and um, in essence, here, here's what we're gonna see today, that if you just look at the individual strokes of circumstances, hardship, various events in your life, conversations, moments, some of those individual strokes may not make a lot of sense to you. 
We all go through moments in life. We all go through seasons in life. We all have difficult conversations. We experience various forms of hardship, maybe some type of persecution. And if you just look at your life in terms of the individual brushes of paint on the canvas of your life, it may not make a lot of sense to you, but I just want you to hear me today. The, the good, kind, gracious purposes of our God are such that he's able to take those individual brush strokes and those individual paint swatches on the canvas of your life and over the course of your life, here's what he's doing. He's actually making something beautiful. You can't always see it in the individual brush strokes. You can't always see it in individual circumstances. You can't always see it when you're going through that hard season. But, but here's what's coming. There is coming for every follower of Jesus a crown of righteousness, a completed work. As we saw last week, Paul says to Christ's followers that he who's begun a good work in you is going to bring it to completion. But along the way, there are gonna be some splotches and some strokes that may not make a lot of sense to you. But here's, here's our key takeaway today. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, then I'm gonna show it to you from Philippians chapter one, okay? I, I just want you to see this. This is so important, that God uses adversity to advance his will for your life. He uses adversity as a means of advancement. And adversity is like a stroke of a dark color that in and of itself doesn't look very beautiful. It's like a splotch of paint in the corner that looks a little messy. But, 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 but if you'll endure and you'll hang in there, here's what Paul's gonna show us today. There are no wasted brush strokes on the canvas that is your life. And what the Lord is actually doing is constructing something, painting something, if you will, that is incredibly beautiful, but you gotta zoom out and see the whole. You see, this is how the Lord works, and this is how the Lord worked in Paul's life. We're in Philippians chapter one, so if you have a copy of God's word, I'd love for you to meet me there. Philippians chapter one, we're just in the opening section of this letter that Paul's writing to these beloved men and women located in Philippi, a church he started years before, and now Paul is in Rome. He is actually uh, imprisoned. He's actually under house arrest, literally, physically chained to a Roman guard at all times. And when the Philippians learn of his plight, they send a man named Epaphroditus to him. They loved him so dearly. They sent Epaphroditus to Paul, who traveled from Philippi to Rome, a distance from Chicago to New York City, and he traveled a long way. And when he got to Paul, Paul was just overwhelmed at the concern that these Philippians had for him. And, and today, we're gonna see that early on in the letter, he is very committed to letting them know that he's all right. And so join me in verse 12. I want you to see what, what Paul communicates to them. He says this, and I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel 
So this become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. But what does it matter to me? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, even though I'm in prison, right? Because I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Listen, here's what Paul is saying to these believers. He's like, I, I know you care for me. I know that, 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 that you have this deep affection for me. That's why you've sent Epaphroditus all the way from Philippi to Rome. But, but as he's writing this letter that Epaphroditus will carry back to them, he's like, you can just see it here. He's like, I just want you to know, brothers and sisters, I want you to know, I'm okay. Yes, I've been beaten. Yes, I've been imprisoned. Yes, I'm stuck here in Rome. Yes, I'm chained to a member of the Praetorian Guard. But I just want you to know that what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. I'm okay. Man, he tells them this early on. He doesn't like say this to the end of the letter. He wants them to know up front, hey, I just want you to understand I'm all right. That's because, let me just remind you of this, okay, adversity is a means of advancement. Adversity is a means of advancement, and Paul was no stranger to, to adversity. He was no stranger to hardship. I mean, listen, even in just the, 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 the path to Rome, right, what we find are a lot of individual brush strokes that don't look very beautiful. Here's how Paul got to Rome. You see, years earlier, he was worshiping in the temple of Jerusalem and the Jews drug him out and they gave him a very harsh beating. They planned to beat him to death, except there was a Roman commander who heard the commotion in the temple grounds and he brought some soldiers with him and he stopped the beating. Believing that Paul was in the wrong and deserving of the beating, the Roman commander arrests him and takes him to a place where an interrogation can occur just before a Roman soldier strikes Paul yet again, he is informed that Paul is a Roman citizen. And so the soldier, filled with fear, informs his commander, who in turn sends Paul to Caesarea, 50 miles away, accompanied by 500 soldiers. Paul is turned over to Governor Felix at the time and imprisoned for a lengthy period of time, and then Festus takes over as governor who plans to send Paul to Jerusalem, but Paul, instead, not wanting to go back to Jerusalem, appeals to Caesar, which every Roman citizen had a right to do, and so Paul is sent to Rome. Now, you wanna talk about going from bad to worse, check this out. Paul goes to Rome by way of a boat on the Mediterranean Sea, while on the Mediterranean Sea, his ship is shipwrecked on the Isle of Malta. While on the Isle of Malta, Paul is bitten by a snake. These are ugly brush strokes, wouldn't you agree? <laughs> beaten in Jerusalem, 
transported to Caesarea, appeals to Caesar, now on his way to Rome, endures a fierce storm and shipwrecked on the island of Malta. While there, he's bitten by a snake. These are ugly brushstrokes. Many people saying, what in the world is the painter doing? He eventually gets to Rome where he is placed under guard, not just any guards, but the Praetorian Guard, which, by the way, were Caesar's personal bodyguards and the highest trained units in Rome. Let me just say it this way. These were not mall cops. <laughs> and all due respect to mall cops. These weren't mall cops. These were special forces. Now here's the way it worked. Paul was physically chained to a guard 24 hours a day for two years, for two years. So check this out, ugly brushstrokes. The most effective missionary and church planter that the world has ever known is now off the field for two years and seemingly rotting away in a Roman jail cell or under house arrest, you get the idea, but chained to a member of Caesar's elite guards. Now let me ask you a question. Let me bring it into a modern kind of scenario here. If I were to ask you, how would you script getting the gospel to the nations in our lifetime? Let me tell you what you would write down, probably the same thing I would write down. First of all, Tampa would beat Philadelphia tomorrow night. <laughs> and then they would miraculously get to the Super Bowl and they would win the Super Bowl. And at the Super Bowl celebration, Gronk would not toss the trophy across a boat in the bay, okay? But um, we would have one of America's best preachers share the gospel with everyone tuning in. And then we would, we would have like, you know, crusades again. And we would pack stadiums with people hearing the gospel. And we would see growth in churches across the country, around the world. And we would see missionaries sent out who are keenly effective in what they do. And like, okay, if we were to script, okay, let's just say we were gonna script the story of how the gospel is gonna take root and reach every person in the world in our lifetime, right? Like we would, we, we, we would, we would script it in a way that, that there's growth, there's excitement, there, there are crusades, there are revivals or whatever, okay? That's how we would script it. We, every brushstroke on the canvas would look perfect. But if you haven't noticed, we aren't God. And 2,000 years ago, here's how God determined that he was gonna get the gospel to the world. Are you ready for this? He was gonna take the most effective evangelist, church planner, and missionary and take him off the field and put him under Roman house arrest for two years. Now, does that make any sense to you? Because on a human level, that makes no sense to me. But that's what God did. This man in Paul that God took off the mission field and put under Roman house arrest for two years actually came to Christ through a means of growth in the church that you and I would not have scripted. It was actually a collaboration of ugly brushstrokes 
when actually the man named Paul, who at the time was called Saul, presided over the death of a man named Stephen. And because of Stephen's death, there was widespread persecution in Jerusalem and the church had to scatter to save their lives. And as they scattered outside of Jerusalem, they took the hope of the gospel with them. And as they began to share the gospel in all the places where they were scattered, revival broke out. And when you zoom out to the whole, what you see is something very beautiful. But boy, it didn't seem beautiful when believers in Jerusalem were packing up their families and relocating. Paul actually came to Christ as a result of that period of persecution. Remember, Jesus said, Paul, well, actually, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And now he is undergoing persecution. He's undergoing adversity. He has been shipwrecked and beaten and bitten by a snake and chained to a member of the Praetorian Guard 24 hours a day for two years. But in all of that, he has the perspective that God is at work and that God uses adversity as a means of advancement. His ways are not our ways. And so Paul sees himself not as a victim, but as someone with a unique opportunity. Let me just remind you what he says here, verse 12 and 13. Look at that. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what's happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. I know these brushstrokes individually, they don't seem very pretty and the colors are dark and the paint is splotchy. But no, 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 listen. I, I can see what God's doing with the whole of the canvas. And, and, and it's actually good. God's using all of this to advance the gospel. He says, look at this, verse 13, maybe you missed this. It's actually become known throughout the entire imperial guard that my imprisonment is because I'm in Christ. Here's what Paul Saw, like we see, he's chained to a guard who's rotating every four to six hours. He's chained to that guard for two years. We see that as misery. Paul saw it as opportunity. Do you know why? Paul's like, hey, I got a captive audience. I mean, this is just what I visualize. Like, there's a shift change, right? And somebody else is chained to him. Hi, my name's Paul. What's your name? Good to meet you. If you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity? Paul's got four to six hours with that guy. He's not going anywhere. And Paul's like, the gospel is spreading among Caesar's personal bodyguards. And not only that, I don't know if you noticed this, but Paul went on to talk about the encouragement that it brought. So, man, so Paul's like, I'm okay. God uses adversity as advancement. He shapes us, he molds us, he sands off some of those rough edges, and he actually brings unique opportunities we wouldn't have otherwise. I know that we would all choose to live lives that impact the world with no adversity. I'm just telling you, if we all live lives free of adversity, we would not truly see our need for God. There would be less holiness cultivated in us, less dependence upon the Lord, less awareness of our frailty. No, God uses adversity to cultivate holiness. Hardship cultivates holiness, and adversity leads often to advancement. Paul says, I'm okay. What's happened to me has served to advance 
the gospel. And not only did Paul have a powerful witness in Rome, by the way, even though he was in chains, you know what else he did there? He wrote what you and I know as the prison letters. He wrote four letters to the church. He wrote, of course, to the Philippians. He wrote to the Ephesians. He wrote to the Colossians. He wrote to Philemon. By the way, check this out. In that period of adversity with what we would consider to be ugly paint strokes, Paul wrote four letters of our New Testament that are still encouraging us today. Adversity is a form of advancement. You know what it is to use a medieval term? It's, um, it's alchemy. <laughs> I don't expect anybody to know what that is unless some of you were alive in the medieval times. Uh, <laughs> Alchemy. You know what alchemy was? You may have heard of that term. Here's what alchemy was. Go back, it goes back, go back to medieval times, not that restaurant in Orlando. Okay, I'm talking about like the real medieval times. Alchemy was a process used to try to bring gold from lead or actually any type of base metal. See, there was a belief hundreds of years ago that, that you could take a base metal like lead and and put it through a process known as alchemy and get to gold, right? And so this was a big deal back in the medieval days. There were many, many people trying to get gold from lead, moving through this process known as alchemy to try to turn lead into gold. Um, Newsflash, it didn't work. (laughs) But if I could summarize what Paul's saying here in Philippians 1, 12 and 13, it's that our God has figured out the formula for alchemy. You know what God did in the life of Joseph back in the days of Israel? And remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? You know what he did? He took a situation that was like lead and he turned it to gold. He took a situation where Joseph endured extreme hardship and adversity, where he underwent horrific persecution, where he lost his family and his identity, where routinely he was mistreated and imprisoned, but who ultimately prevailed and said to the men responsible for his plight, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. You know what that's called? Alchemy. God has a way of bringing good from evil. God has a way of flipping the enemy's practices on their heads. God has a way of bringing gold from lead. He has a way of taking even the most difficult of circumstances and producing something wonderful and beautiful from them. And, and, and listen, it was Joseph as a slave in Egypt to becoming the prime minister. It was Paul taken off the mission field, imprisoned for two years in Rome, but who as a result had a powerful witness in Rome and is still encouraging people like you and me today. The Lord has a way, a wisdom where he's able to bring together all of these dark colors and all of these paint splotches over the course of time to where we expand out and we see the bigger picture and then we're able to say in hindsight, wow, look at the beautiful painting that God has constructed. And I want you to know that all of us deal with Seasons of adversity and hardship and persecution. I know many of you have been through some very difficult seasons. I just want you to know that your loving, kind, gracious, heavenly Father knows where you are, knows what you are enduring. He knows the adversity. And through endurance and faithfulness, he will actually use it 
for his glory. And we don't always know how in the moment, but there's coming a day when he'll wipe every tear from our eye and we'll see the big picture of the canvas that the Lord has been painting. And we will see that what the Lord is doing is good. And so it, adversity is a means of advancement. And then, listen, lastly, just, just make a note of this. Endurance is a means of encouragement. Here's what I want you to see with this, right? Like, that when you and I endure faithfully in the Lord. and we persevere in what's right, and we continue to keep our hand to the plow, and we honor the Lord with what we do, even in these hard seasons. Let me tell you something. Endurance is a means of encouragement to other believers around the world. And, and I've, I believe that every single person who comes to faith in Christ will never lose his or her salvation. I want you to hear me on this. But I also want you to hear me say this very clearly. The Bible does not teach some cheap, watered-down view of once saved, always saved. The Bible does not teach that you can just give some type of mental assent to the Lord and then live however you want. You know what the Bible teaches? That yes, every person who is truly born again will be saved, and do you know how they will be saved? Through endurance. Because he or she who is truly saved and born again will endure to the end. That's what the Bible teaches. That we have the means through the enabling of the Holy Spirit, we have the means through the grace and mercy of God to endure, right, even at times our own stupidity, through the hardships that are in the world today, you, through, through the evil that we encounter, through the persecution that we face. Listen, through the power of the Holy Spirit, this is why the scripture says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We have the means to endure. And he who endures to the end will be saved. That's what the scripture teaches. And I just want you to hear me on this. Your endurance through these seasons, uh, seasons of adversity are not without purpose. The Lord uses you greatly through your endurance to encourage others. Let me remind you what Paul said here in verse 14. This is so powerful. He says, listen, not only am I okay, and not only is the gospel being spread through adversity, because adversity is advancement, but then he says this in verse 14. Watch this again. He says, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment. They've seen, in other words, let me paraphrase. Paul's saying, they've seen that even though I put in prison, the gospel has not been imprisoned. The power of God has not been imprisoned. And they've seen, even though I'm imprisoned, that the gospel is not imprisoned. And look at what he says here. Leave, leave it up on the screen here, okay? He, he says, verse 14, he says, and so they dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. Because endurance brings encouragement. Paul didn't play the victim. Paul didn't like develop an Eeyore complex. Paul's like, you know what? If the Lord's allowing me to be here in Rome, chained to these guards, 
It must be for a greater purpose. These brush strokes that I don't fully understand or appreciate in the moment, I know God is using to paint something beautiful. And so I'm gonna share the gospel with these guards and I'm gonna encourage the other believers here and I'm gonna write to these churches while I have the opportunity and the Lord used him and guess what? These other believers in Rome are like, man, if, if Paul who is in prison can have this kind of impact, imagine the kind of impact we can have and they're preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel even more boldly. I wouldn't script it this way. Everybody was to be happy, free of problems. No, the Lord uses adversity as advancement and endurance as encouragement. And we're so encouraged even today because of Paul's witness and the witness of others like him who through the years have been so faithful in, in sharing the gospel in adverse circumstances. And listen, I just want you to understand people are encouraged by you in your endurance. Can I show you what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1? I just think this is profound, okay? This is, this is the point I'm making here. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who, by the way, comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction themselves through the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. And then he says this, don't miss this, for just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. You wouldn't know the comfort of Jesus without some adversity. And as we share in Christ's sufferings, we also share in his comfort. He says in verse six, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you, Paul concludes, is firm because we know that as you share in the sufferings, you will also share in the comfort. Can I just tell you, there is no greater encouragement and there is no greater means of endurance when you're going through a hard season than to connect with someone who's been through it before. And to hear someone say, I have felt something similar to what you feel and I've hurt in ways that you're hurting. And I'm here to tell you today, the Lord is faithful. And so if you're going through a season of adversity today, understand the Lord's gonna use that brush stroke that doesn't look very pretty as a part of the broader painting of your life. And it's gonna look beautiful in the end. And as you endure and you remain faithful and you serve the Lord with gladness, he's gonna use you to encourage others. Paul says, as we share in the sufferings of Christ, we also share in his comfort. That's why the author of Hebrews says this, we have a great cloud of witnesses to encourage us. And I know we like to think of that great cloud of witnesses just in terms of heroes, right? Like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David. But can I just, I mean, I'm not gonna take you there today, but just if you go to Hebrews 11 where this, you know, list is given of some of these great clouds of witnesses, may I just encourage you to not stop reading when you get, to the heroes, but keep going to the end. Because you know, what it, you know what the author of Hebrews talks about? Do you know who he talks about? He says, there are really too many in a name. But then he goes on to say this, there are those who had to flee for their lives, never to return home. He says, there were some who were sawed in two. 
And I love how the author of Hebrew kind of concludes. He says, let me just tell you this. The world was not worthy of them. And we don't even know their names. So if you're in a season where you're like, you know what, I don't feel like a David and I don't see the immediate victory coming, that's okay. Sometimes in this life, that full victory is an experience because we're not living for this life. But if you'll endure and you'll honor the Lord and you'll continue to be a generous, gracious, right, committed follower of Jesus who's, who's, who's a part of this mission and movement that's changing the world. I'm just gonna tell you, if you'll continue to have the perspective that yeah, while some of these individual sections or colors don't make a lot of sense in the moment, if you'll believe with all of your heart that God is doing something beautiful with the full canvas of your life, I just want you to understand, God is gonna use you, God is gonna bless you, and you will be included in the number that is now innumerable of those of whom the world is not worthy. Because adversity is a means of advancement and endurance is a means of encouragement. Paul's like, I want you to know, you may imprison me, you will never imprison the gospel. You may injure me, you will never injure the cause of Christ. We are part of something bigger than ourselves and God uses the good and the bad to paint a beautiful picture on the canvas of our lives. I'll give you one more example. A man by the name of John Bunyan. Some of you may not have heard of him, it's okay. John Bunyan lived in England back in the day, back in the 17th century. Check this out. In 1660, about the time that alchemists were trying to get gold from lead, (laughs) John Bunyan was preaching the gospel in England. And in 1660, while he was preaching at a farmhouse in Lower Samsel in England, Bunyan was arrested on the charge of preaching without official rights from the king. Now check this out. He was in prison for 12 years. He was told repeatedly, if you'll stop preaching the gospel and you'll agree to stop preaching, we will release you. John Bunyan at one point said these words. He said, if you release me today, I will be found preaching the gospel tomorrow. So they kept him 12 years, actually 12 and a half. And while he was retained in prison for those 12 and a half years, he made shoelaces to help support his family. Not a brush stroke that any of us would have put on the canvas. But can I just tell you how God used John Bunyan? Not only was he an incredible means of encouraging those believers there in England, which he was during that imprisonment, you know what else he did? He wrote some of the greatest Christian classics that the world has ever known. He wrote one work, one of my favorite Bunyan works, Grace abounding to the chief of sinners. And you know what else he wrote? You may have heard of this, Pilgrim's Progress. Now, if you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, that's your assignment for the week, okay? (laughs) At one time, people said of Bunyan's work, Pilgrim's Progress, that if you only had two books to read, one should be your Bible and the other Pilgrim's Progress. That's how much God has used that work. By the way, we're here Um, hundreds of years later, it is still in print and it's still one of the most influential Christian books the world has ever known. Let me ask you, if you were leading the charge of getting the gospel to England in 1660, would you have imprisoned one of the world's greatest preachers? I say probably not, but thankfully God has a wisdom that is not ours. And what the enemy meant for evil, God used for good. 
what the enemy saw as adversity, God used as advancement. And in Bunyan's 12 and a half year endurance, God used that to encourage the church in a profound way, and he is still doing it today with every single person who reads that masterful work, Pilgrim's Progress. And so I don't know what you're chained to today, I don't know what adversity you're facing today, what brush strokes you would say I'd rather do without. I don't know what you walked in the room today and thinking, you know what, God, this isn't very beautiful. Can, can I just encourage you to lean into the grace and the mercy and the providence of God and just know this, dear one, that if you continue to endure, God will use you. And I promise you, there is coming a day when we will see the full painting that God is constructing on the canvas of our lives. And I promise you on that day, when the crown of righteousness is given to us, we will see that all of God's work in our lives is beautiful. Amen? Beautiful. This is the plan and the purpose of our God. And so listen, if I can encourage you today, I want you to my wife and I'll be out in the lobby as you leave today. I'd love to talk with you, pray with you. If you're here today, you don't know Christ as Savior. You've never trusted him as Lord. Today, I wanna encourage you to take that step. You can connect with me out in the lobby or any member of our team at the round tables. You can always text Bell Shoals to 77411, an option John Bunyan did not have in 1660. (laughs) But I want you to know we're here for you, to encourage you. We're all in this together as we strive toward eternity and the unveiling of, of God's beautiful work in our lives, all right?